ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. England have beaten Australia again. And that team that after the first T20 were on the brink in this Women's Ashes series, they knew they could not afford a false step. Well, it's three on the bounce. We go to the Aegeus Bowl with England. Two wins away now from regaining the women's ashes for the first time in close to a decade. The women's ashes is all square at six all, with Australia dropping the last three matches of the multi-format series. This is unfamiliar territory for the Aussie women's team, so how are they coping with it and what changes can they make to try and retain the ashes? We talked to Aussie bowler Georgia Wareham to find out. Ben Cameron talks us through a huge final shaping round of AFL to come, plus the NRL rolls on after a big week of origin and all the sound bites you need to hear from the past week. I'm Poppy Penny and this is ABC Sport Daily. After one test match, three T20s and an ODI, the women's ashes is currently drawn six all. Georgia Wareham bowls for Australia and specialises in the white ball game, so this part of the multi-format ashes series is right up her alley. Georgia, Australia was six nil after winning the test in the first T20, meaning you are and were still one win away from retaining the ashes. England have since levelled the series. What's the feeling among the squad? Is there a level of, I guess, frustration there? Yeah, I guess so. I think being so close to, I guess, retaining the Ashes and also given how close every one of the games has been since. So, yeah, I guess there's a little bit of frustration, but I think at the same time, we haven't quite played our best cricket, so we can't really be too frustrated. And I think we've probably been been outplayed in a couple of those games since, but we're pretty keen on, on putting things together and then hopefully yeah, winning the next ODI. What sorts of things do you guys need to address as a group? What levers can be pulled? Yeah, look, I think all formats of our game, I think all aspects, sorry, probably need a little bit of a touch up. I think we've probably given away a lot of freebies with the ball in comparison to what they have and probably left a, a couple of runs out there with the bat. So I think there's, you put them together and there's quite a bit of a turnaround. But yeah, I also feel like our, our workout in the field hasn't been as good as we'd like. We sort of pride ourselves on being the best fielding team in the world. Now, before this Ashes series, you would have said that an Australian misfield a rare sight. Yeah, we probably let that slip a little bit in the last couple of games. This could be costly for Australia. Two fielders converging on the boundary. It goes for four. More generally, the team at the moment seems to be a really good balance and mix of youth and experience. What's it like being able to learn from some of those more experienced players, but also act as kind of a mentor to some of these younger players? Yeah, it's really cool. I'm not sure. I feel like I'm still in the, the young younger group at the moment. <laughs> but um, anytime you can sort of go back to your mark when you're bowling and you've got Pez to your left and then you look down the other end and the mid behind the stumps, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, yeah, there is a lot of experience and a lot of heads you can turn to. But they, And then I guess you see players like Phoebe Litchfield come in and, and just do her thing straight away, which has been really exciting to see. And it's all the way to the boundary for four runs. Beautiful shot there from Litchfield. Elegant as ever she. The Australian team has been so dominant for such a long time in women's cricket. And if you take your Australian cricketer's hat off for just a moment, how good is it for world cricket on the larger scale that another country is able to sort of rise to that level and contend with Australia, given how dominant you girls have been for such a long time? Yeah, it is really cool. I think it's hard to take the Australian hat off at the moment. But, um, <laughs> 
Yeah, it is really cool. I think, yeah, the games have been super competitive and I think they've been really good spectacles of, of women's cricket. And I think we've sort of seen that with the crowds and, yeah, the energy. And I think it's really cool to be able to travel away from home and sort of see that experience. And I guess obviously we don't want that to happen anymore, but um, <laughs> it's been an interesting experience for me. This is like the first first time I've lost a T20 series. I haven't lost a series playing for Australia before. Yeah, you mentioned Georgia Ware and before today, her record in One Day International, she'd played 23 and won every One Day International she played in. Losing this many games in a row, I guess, has been another first for, I guess, a lot of the people in the group at the moment. But yeah, I guess it's making for really competitive cricket and I guess that's what we want at the end of the day. How do you guys deal with that as a team? As you say, it's not really something the Australian women's cricket team has had to deal with all that often. I feel like it's always been coming. I think everyone was going to catch up. Yeah, in England, I think they just play a different style of the game than we do. So they're coming at us really hard. And yeah, as a group, we're just trying to stick to what we do really well. And yeah, we haven't quite nailed it just yet. But yeah, I don't think we're too far away. It's their interpretation of the baseball revolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit something like that. As you touch on, the crowds have been epic for this series and women's sport in general in the UK has kind of been on this meteoric rise. What's it been like to be involved in that? We've seen record crowds across this series. It must be an amazing atmosphere. Yeah, it is, the crowds have been unbelievable. Fans on the edge of their seats. Sold out ground. All of these ODIs are sold out. Their support for the, for their team, their side, has been huge and it's a definite factor in the game when, when you've got 20,000 people at each game just cheering you on. Sold out crowds every game. The crowd are getting what they paid for. It was pretty cool. Um, experience to be a part of, to be able to see that many people in the crowd and just create a really cool environment at, at the ground. And yeah. One last one, Georgia. Where does the nickname Wolfie come from? <laughs> During underage cricket, someone was just thought, you know, where um, Werewolf was close <laughs> enough and I haven't been able to shake it since. So it's like my cricket nickname. I don't really get called it when I'm at home, but it sticks with me at cricket. <laughs> well, Wolfie, Georgia Wareham, thanks so much for your time. Good luck for the rest of the series. No worries. Thank you. With New South Wales salvaging some pride and Queensland finally celebrating with the State of Origin Shield, everyone heads back to Clubland for round 20 of the NRL season. After a barnstorming debut in State of Origin, Bradman Best will be looking to continue his form against a struggling Wests Tigers outfit. Pass back to Bradman Best. He's able to score. He's got a double on boo. Best has scored five tries in his last two games of footy, living up to his surname, which surely put the pressure on while growing up. It's Knights teammate Caelan Ponga's 100th game, so expect Bradman to try and help his mate turn up in style. The Cowboys and the Sea Eagles are both still in the hunt for finals action this season, so this match at Brookvale Oval is a big one. Both teams have named their origin stars to back up from Wednesday's match with Ben Travojevic the only out for either team. Both teams are coming off the bye, so aside from their origin players, expect fresh legs, which could mean another high-scoring match between these two teams. Brookie will be heaving, huge. And Cronulla are sitting pretty in third on the ladder, but what would you say if I told you they were flat-track bullies? The last time they beat a side that's currently in the top eight was round two, and it was the Eels who, at the time, weren't in the eight. The Sharks head over to Auckland to face the Warriors, who have this year beaten the Eels, the Raiders and Cronulla themselves back in round five. On paper, the Sharks should win this, but at home... The Warriors could have their measure and continue their climb up the ladder. A reminder, you can hear every NRL game live and ad-free on the ABC Listen app. 
Ben Cameron is an AFL commentator with ABC Sport and is one half of Corbin and Ben, which, of course, you can find on the best of ABC Sport feed. Ben, I feel like we're going to be saying this between now and the rest of the season, but it feels like an enormous round of footy. We're going to go backwards to go forwards, first of all. Last night's match between Sydney and the Western Bulldogs keeps the hope alive for Swans fans, but surely it's the hope that kills you. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I think mathematically they're a chance. I don't expect them to have a role to play in finals. And uh, we, knew, we knew the numbers heading into this season, how often teams that suffer a shellacking on grand final day. What a start by Geelong. They have come out and dominated Sydney. Then fail to play in the finals or win a final the next year. And, and clearly that looks like the fate of the Sydney Swans. I actually thought last night was so much about the Western Bulldogs. I mean, they're so hard to get a read on and it's the kind of game they just had to go up to Sydney and win. And if they did, they were every chance of recording a top four berth, something that Luke Beveridge has never achieved with the Western Bulldogs in spite of the fact that they won the 2016 Premiership and in spite of the fact that uh, back in 2021, the COVID-affected year, uh, they came from seventh to make it all the way through to the grand final. It looks like once again they'll be consigned to uh, the lower part of the eight. Tonight's match between the Demons and the Lions at the MCG with finals to come. How important is a win on the G for Brisbane? Chris Fagan has referenced all kinds of different things around this. He's referenced the Denver Nuggets in the NBA who didn't have a great <laughs> road record but went on to win the NBA championship with Nikola Jokic. He's also referenced the fact that in a final last year, they did beat Melbourne on the ground, so they believe they can win there. Yet their record at the ground is just one of their last 14 games they've won, that fixture that I'm speaking about. One of the two hottest teams in the AFL at the moment is Port Adelaide. They travelled to Docklands but have a massive seven changes. They're taking on Carlton. Is this the best chance a team has to snap that winning streak of Ports? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a 13-game winning streak, what a remarkable streak. You know, Ken Hinckley's future on the line. I keep going back to that that match uh, against Sydney. Ollie Florence kick looks like, for all money it's going through, it falls a couple of metres short. Port have won. The Florence kick did not make the distance. And you do have to wonder whether their season follows the same path that it has since. They've got such a great chance, Carlton. They've won three in a row of their own. And it's a Port Adelaide team that'll be missing so many of its key figures. So... Charlie Dixon, so important for their structure. Jason Horn francis their star, second-year player. Uh, Junior Rioli, due to personal reasons. Quinton Narkel's been omitted. Ryan Burton goes out. Sam Hayes goes out. And Trent McKenzie, he's injured as well. So they're never going to have a better opportunity than this, uh, I think, Carlton. Very quickly to wrap us up, Ben, how important will Graham Myers be to the Cats against the Bombers this weekend? I am kidding. That has been Twitter furor this week. There has been a lot of talk, though, about this game being moved to the MCG for a bigger crowd, but surely Geelong have the right to play home games at home regardless of capacity. Yeah, that's my opinion. I mean, it is very much their home ground. We played grand finals back in 2004 in front of a, a, an uncompleted MCG redevelopment. It was still at the time the, the biggest ground in the country in terms of patronage. But if you go to a ground like, let's say, whether it be Perth Stadium, the Adelaide Oval, the Gabba, if the ground sold out, they don't say, let's move the game to the MCG so we can get more people in. No, Geelong have the right to host their home games at their home ground. The one thing I would say that is of note around this story, Essendon never mentioned it. They're happy to play there. Brad Scott was at pains to say, 
look, we don't have an issue with it. Yet it all only really started off the back of the opinion of Caroline Wilson. But it was just an opinion. It was never a story. The AFL never considered moving it. It, it was just an opinion that has uh, formed discussion throughout the week in AFL circles. The old Ross Lyon adage, anyone, anywhere, anytime. Ben Cameron, yes. thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the footy this weekend. Uh, my pleasure, anytime. A reminder, you can listen to every game of the AFL live and gloriously ad-free on the ABC Listen app. Time for sound bites, and we want to start on a bit of a sombre but touching note this week. West Australian cyclist Connor Lambert was killed in a training accident in Belgium this week, and with so many Australians, including four other West Aussies, competing in the Tour de France at the moment, it was sure to impact them. After stage 12 of the tour, West Australian cyclist Jai Hindley had this to say. We lost a really good guy uh, yesterday, a rider from WA and by the name of Connor Lambert. So I just um, want to give my, send out my good vibes and thoughts to his family and the, the whole uh, WA cycling community especially. It's a small community but it's, uh, yeah, it's like a big family. Well said by Jai and we echo those sentiments. Well, tonight the Matildas play their last match before their World Cup campaign kicks off. The match in Melbourne will be played in front of a record crowd of 50,000 people, which will be broken just six days later in their opening World Cup match against Ireland. Star striker Sam Kerr was checking out the turf ahead of the send-off match against France. And can someone please make sure she knows what sport she's playing? Snap one from the 50. Dumb shade from the pocket. Wrong stadium, wrong stadium. Wrong sport, wrong stadium, but right idea. Goal scoring, Sam, goal scoring. And Wimbledon always has some feel-good stories, and this year, American Chris Eubanks could be the one. Ranked 43 in the world, competing in his first Wimbledon, he beat Greek fifth seed Stefanos Tsitsipas and pushed Daniil Medvedev all the way to five sets in the quarterfinals. There were some learnings from this tournament. His team learned the importance of booking hotels with confidence. I'll typically say, you know, let's book until Friday just because the cancellation policies can be a little bit tough and we'll see what happens so we had that happen moved it again to monday and then i believe yesterday or two days ago we said you know let's just move it to next friday but what did chris learn i guess that i like grass well i guess we'll see you at the all england club next year i'm poppy penny and this is abc sport daily produced by joel Cassam. if you want more women's ashes more afl or more nrl remember you can catch them all live on the abc listen app if you haven't given us a rating or a review yet either what are you waiting for it only takes a second and it would help us out Thanks to the Matildas and SBS for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.